Well, welcome back and welcome to my office. Today we're filming here. I'm Scott Weatherford and just want to talk to you about the new normal. We've been talking about the book of Daniel over the last three weeks and here we are at probably one of the most famous passages, well, maybe one of the top three famous passages in the book of Daniel. But I want to set this up with these thoughts. On June the 4th of 1940, the British army was surrounded by the Nazi forces on a small outcropping of land in France called Dunkirk. And they were hemmed in and trouble. And the British commanders back on the, the island, the British Isle, were trying to figure out how to get their armies back. And they were struggling. In fact, the Battle of Dunkirk is pretty famous because the volunteers went and rescued the army in the Battle of Dunkirk. But the, the forces that were encapsulated there, captured there, surrounded there, they'd made a decision not to surrender. And they knew that if they did surrender, the bellicose reign of the Nazis would take effect and actually the, all of the British Isle would fall because their armies would be destroyed. And they sent a message back about their resolve. They said this, and if he does not. Now, all of the British Isle knew that that time of history, they were quoting from Daniel chapter 3 about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they were not going to bow down to a bellicose king. They were not going to bow down to the evil Nazi forces, and they were going to have a resolve. And if he does not, there would be no surrender. Hmm. On April 4th of 1913, a young man died in Cairo, Egypt. Now, this young man was William Borden. Now, he was not of the Borden milk family fame. His family had made their fortune in Colorado in silver mining, but he was rich beyond belief. But through his mother's influence, he had gone to Moody Church there in Chicago and heard the preaching of Dwight L. Moody and became a Christian, gave his life to Christ. And then for his senior celebration and graduating from high school, he toured the world. <laughs> nice kind of graduation gift. And in that world tour, he developed a heart for the broken, the disheveled. He went on to Princeton and got his degree, got his Ivy League education, got his master's in theology from Princeton and decided at age 25 to go and be a missionary to the Uyghur people living in China, the Islamic Uyghurs living in, in China. And so on his way there, he stopped in Cairo, Egypt to study the language and study the, the traditions of the Islamic people. And there he contracted meningitis and died. His, his death shocked the world. His life and devotion for Christ was so strong in the Ivy League community and the community of Chicago and in the nations of the world that he had visited that his death was remembered and mourned throughout North America to China and to Japan and other places in the world. And what made this 25-year-old so significant was his commitment to Christ. After his death, it's legend has, and the historicity of this has been questioned, but legend has they found his Bible, and in his Bible he had these three statements written, no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. No reserves was the fact that his father said if you went on this missionary endeavor, you'd be cut off from the family fortune. No retreat that when he went to Cairo that he had set his face like Flint to the mission he was going to do in China. And then, of course, no regrets when he found out he was sick and dying, that he died with a life well served. Hmm. Courage in the face of adversity, there would be no surrender, no surrender. At the turn of the last century, the late 1800s, the early 1900s, a group of people at a small university in upstate New York called Nyack College, a group of five families decided that they would go to the Congo 
and preach the gospel. The Congo was a what's called a burnover region that the, when the Portuguese came and did what they did to the Congolese people, the Congolese people turned away from Christianity. But this group of people, these group of students from Nyack College with a heart set for evangelism of the world, packed their belongings and went to Congo to spread the gospel. Within a very short period of time, all five of the families had died. Word came back to Nyack College about the demise of these families, and 15 other families stepped up, packed their belongings in their coffins, and went to Congo to preach the gospel. There would be no surrender. How is it possible that people can have such resolve in the face of such great adversity and live with such courage? What has happened in their hearts and their minds to give them this kind of confidence? You know, life is hard, and it gets harder. And I've said that, and I don't mean to discourage you. That's just the truth. Because oftentimes we buy into this false view of Christianity that when we come to Jesus, we're automatically healthy, wealthy, and wise, and nothing bad will ever happen. And you know, it's a sweet by and by, pie in the sky, and you die and you go to heaven, and angels come and sing over you and float you off, and it's all done. But that's not the way life works. Sometimes you die in Cairo. Sometimes you're stuck on Dunkirk, and sometimes you pack your belongings in your coffin and go to the Congo, and sometimes you face adversity stronger than you could imagine. And God, you find God to be more faithful than you can imagine. How is this possible? In Daniel chapter 3, we see the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, face a fiery ordeal, literally a fiery ordeal. And they come through this with courage and confidence. They face a crazy king with a crazy agenda, and somehow they survive. Well, let me tell you their story. Just let you know what's going on in, in chapter 3. So Nebuchadnezzar, about 20 years after he had this dream with Daniel and the statues, he decides he's going to build a statue. I think it's probably been rolling around in his convoluted crazy head for a while that he ought to build this, this statue. So he builds a 90-foot gold-encased statue, 90-foot high, 9-foot wide, of himself, and he puts it on the plain of Durin so that everyone can see it. Now, there was not enough gold in Babylon to build a statue that of solid gold. But he built one, and of course, he encased it in gold. And it's probably a pretty fabulous sight. And he was declaring in his narcissistic, crazy way that he was going to declare himself. And actually, we talked about how do you deal with a crazy man last week, and this is really a manifestation of his, his continued craziness. So here he is, and he builds his statue. And with the encouragement of the Chaldean, that, that was his native kind of advisors, he made a decree that that when the music played, he would everyone have to bow down and worship the statue, and thus worshiping him. He was making himself a god, and making yourself a god is never a good idea. And we'll talk more about that in in the weeks to come, because that seems like that was kind of a problem with the Babylonians and the Persians and the Medes and the ancient world and the Romans and whomever. Anyway, so he makes this declaration. He said, if you don't bow down and worship, then we're going to throw you in a fiery furnace. Why not? Why not a fiery furnace? Let's heat up the fire and throw in the furnace. Now, why would a fiery furnace? Well, probably because there was a smelting furnace there when they made the dead gum statue. So it was convenient and it was heated in such a way that gold would be melted and applied and all the practicality stuff and blah, blah, blah. But he made this decree. And of course, they used music because music has a way of kind of opening up our hearts like nothing else can. And it speaks to our hearts. In fact, you know the famous quote, 
Music has the power to calm the savage beast. So it played the music. People went by down, and the crazy king was happy. There was a problem, though, because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we ain't going to do that because we don't serve the king. And so this caused a big pile of problems with the crazy king and the advisors, and then later on with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So I want to talk to you about dealing with adversity and give you some thoughts, maybe pull out this scripture to help you kind of put it in your life. Now, you can read Daniel chapter 3, and I encourage you to do that, that you could read all the tiny little details that maybe I left out of this account. But I want to hit the, the kind of high points. Here's the first thought. People cause most of your problems. In fact, I've heard it said, if you could kick the person in the seat of the pants that gave you most trouble, you would not be able to sit down for a week. That actually you cause most of your problems. But people bring problems. People bring challenges. Now, listen to this. This is what happened. Therefore, at the time, a certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Ah, no kidding. And they declared to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. I'm buttering him up. O king, you have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall bow down and worship the golden engine. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, this is not this fatalistic thing that people bring problems, but they do. And the problems that came upon Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not their doings. It was the crazy behavior of a king and then his malicious Notice how it says these malicious people came and said. Now, here's the deal. The jealousy of the Chaldean leaders gave Daniel and the three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, trouble all their life. There's people in our lives that just bring trouble. I talk to pastors and leaders all the time and talk about the inward working of any organization. There's always the few, the 2 to 3%, that drive everyone crazy. Now, let's look at this, the behavior of people. The people who bring problems can really fall into these categories, and these Chaldeans obviously fall into this category. And this is how they brought trouble. Now, the first one's kind of innocuous. Some people are just sloppy. They do things, they say things, they're not thinking through, and they, they just kind of create chaos, and they're just sloppy. They're not evil-intended or mean-spirited. They're just sloppy. Now, some people are crazy. I mean, they have, and I don't mean to be dismissive, but they have mental problems that cause everything else to have trouble in in people around them. It just they create problems, and you know, I, there's times in the church you don't want to admit, admit or work on mental difficulties or mental illness. So it's kind of like the taboo, but we need to address that because it's not a sin to be sick, but it's a sin not to take care of the sick. And so, some people just have mental illnesses, and, and they're just. They're struggling. I don't use crazy as a dismissive term, but it's truly that's what happens. But some people, they're just entitled, and they think they're it. They think they're the, the, the cat's meow or the bomb or whatever else you want to call it, and they think they're too important, and then, therefore, their entitlement, this is what entitlement does. When you don't get your way, it produces rage, and rage really produces slander and malicious behavior. There's a pattern to this. And the entitlement 
really brings problems to people, and some people are just entitled. Uh, I, I loved, uh, I heard the story about this uh, famous pastor's wife on a plane, and she said, don't you know who I am? She wasn't getting treated, right? Don't you know who I am? And the flight attendant says, no, I don't know who you are, and I don't care who you are. See, this entitlement caused her to behave poorly. And man, that happens with so many of us. I know it does with me. It's one of the things that gets me going anywhere because I think you all know who I am. The truth is it doesn't matter who I am. It, it brings problems to people. And then, of course, there's the last category, and we probably give a further list of categorizations. Some people are just mean. They're just mean. They're evil. And they look to do harm. They look to bring problems. They, they're conniving. They're backbiting. They're, whatever their motivation is, I don't really know. But they're just mean, and some people are mean. Uh, I've, I've read a, a book several years ago. My brother Stan recommended to me dealing with evil people, and just started reading that and realized there are just some people in this world that are just not right and they're mean. And so here's the deal. You cannot control the actions of people. You can't control the actions of the Chaldean advisors or the crazy king Nebuchadnezzar or the people that are sloppy or, or crazy or entitled or mean in your life. You can't control them. You can't control your response to them, your reaction to them. And that means to understand who you are to work in your own heart and your own life. And one of the things I picked up from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew who they were at the core of their being. And then when these people brought problems, it didn't bring problems. It brought problems externally to them, but not internally to them. They had guarded their heart. Now, now here's the thing. You'd really need to know who's around you. You need to know, okay, are they sloppy? Are they are they mentally uh, impaired, crazy? Are they just entitled? Are they mean? Are they evil? You need to really understand the people around you. This is what Jesus said. This is an encounter Jesus had found in Matthew 9. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? You see, Jesus, he knew the hearts of people and did not entrust himself to any man, for he knew their thoughts. It says that in the Gospels that Jesus was so intentional and so empowered and so capable that he knew the people around him. And you know what I would say to you? You need to know the people around them, around you, and you need to be careful who's influencing you, and you need to pay attention. It says in, in Corinthians that bad company corrupts good character. Uh, I heard a youth pastor say years ago, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You really need to know uh, who's surrounding you and how you're being influenced. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, really, they knew who they were. And when you face the fire of adversity, having the solidity of knowing who you are and what you believe, it, it changes the fire. Well, let's go on. These three, they had pre-decided, they had pre-decided not to give in to the crazy demands of a crazy king. They had decided. And they had watched as the statue had gone up. You can't, how can you miss a 90-foot golden statue? I mean, they watched it. They watched the the uh, the, the furnace being built. They watched it all because they were part of the, the the government officials. And in fact, I'm thinking, where's Daniel in this scenario? Daniel wasn't a part of this because Daniel had a higher rank than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and was not called into the congregation that Nebuchadnezzar had called him into. And they had watched this, but they had pre-decided. Now, listen. Why do I know this? Because this is what they said. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king uh, and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, 
We have no need to answer you in this matter. Because they were confronted. Why aren't you bowing down to worship? The Chaldeans were watching them. And he says, yeah, we'd have no need because you already know. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, but if not, be it known, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. And if he does not, we will not bow down and worship you. Oh. You see, commitment is vital to your life. It's vital. There's no growth without commitment. There's no movement without commitment. That's why we talk around about around here about making commitments. We have life commitments. We have five of them that you're committed to connect with God and each other through the church. Connect with God through Jesus. Connect with others in the church. You grow to be like Christ. You serve God by serving others. You contagiously share the love of God, and you live a life of honor to God, a life of worship. Jesus, I'm yours. And those commitments start shaping your life. That's why a commitment builds your life. I have to commit to the people around me. I have to commit to my children, to my wife, to my friends, to you. I have to make a commitment. And all that is predicated by my commitment to God. And as I do that, God changes me. Now, this statement really served as evidence that these three had lived a life so consistent with their commitments that they said to the king, you know we're not going to do this. You knew before you built this that we're not going to do this. So why are you asking for us to do this? Now, the king, being so myopic and entitled and narcissistic, he, he makes these demands. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, well, no, no, we're not going to live that way because they had pre-decided to live out their commitments. Now, I want to give you some quotes. They're going to be up on the screen. The proof of your commitment is revealed in the fires of adversity. You will never know what is in you until you face the fire around you. Adversities will show your character. And now you've heard me say this, that whenever you're squeezed, when you're under pressure, what in you comes out of you. And so when we're adverse, what happens? Now, here's another quote I read. I can't remember who said it, so I'll just take credit. A faith that has never been tested cannot be trusted. And that's why God says, consider it all joy, brothers, when you face trials of many kind. In fact, Peter quotes in his epistle, talking full backward about a future, about a past event. He said, you're going to face fiery trials. He says this to the church, that this is not should be something you should be surprised about, that you face a fiery trial. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced a fiery trial. Peter was drawing on that reference in the book of Daniel. So don't be surprised by the reaction of others when you take a stand because they're not going to get it. Your commitments define you. They define you. Don't be surprised. Let me read. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face changed when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times more than usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. These Then these men who bound in their cloaks, their tunics, and their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the burning furnace. Because the king ordered was urgent that the furnace be overheated, the flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. 
King was hot, pun intended. Now, here's the deal, okay? Notice this said his countenance changed. Why? Because the king respected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when they said, we're not going to do this, his countenance changed because his entitlement, his rage rose up. Now, some people, some theologians have said, because he respected them, he heated the fiery furnace up hotter so that they would die quicker. I don't think that's true. I think he was so mad, he wanted that to show his power. And so it was so hot, he killed the people that were throwing them in the furnace. Why didn't he kill Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Because God, because God is the deliverer. And he was delivering them for his glory. Listen, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste and declared to his counselors, didn't we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, oh, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the centraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. Their hairs of their heads would not singe, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire came upon them. What? Here's some thoughts. Jesus is always in the fire with you. You know when he says he'll never leave us or forsake us? When we go through the adversity of our our life, the adversities, the fiery furnace, he's with us, just like he was with them because he's the God who lives among us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And it's amazing that whatever I go through, whatever I experience, that God is with me. And I need to remember that, that he is with me. And he rescues to reveal his glory and for my good. Now, We must remember the fires of the day are temporary. And God sees the fires of adversity today, but he knows they're temporary because he sees eternity. And one day we are not going to face troubles. Uh, I love the old song says, uh, I'm going to lay down my sword and shield down by the riverside and study war no more. It's apocalyptic writings about the wonders of heaven and and the wonders of eschatology, how God is going to bring all things to an end, that God sees eternity. We live life temporary on this mortal coil. And God sees me in the midst of my toil. And he's going to relieve me from it. And God can and will deliver me from adversity. Now notice some things about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His delivery was complete. Their bodies were not harmed. Their clothing wasn't burned. Their hair wasn't singed. And they didn't even smell like smoke. I'll tell you something. We, we barbecue around here every now and then, fire fire up the smoker. You can't go outside without smelling like smoke. I mean, you smell like smoke when you go home. And these guys were thrown into a furnace, and they didn't even smell like smoke. This was the complete rescue of God for the glory of God. The question is, does God always deliver? And the answer is, yeah, yeah he does but never in the way you think he does. Listen to this in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the great roll call of faith, and at the end of the chapter, there's something there that just you go like, what the heck? But listen to what he says. 
Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom this world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though committed through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What the writer of Hebrews was saying, that the deliverance of God is always in the face of eternity, not in the temporality of our existence here, which is amazing to me. God sees things differently, and he holds us. You're created to live forever. The question is, will you live forever all for Jesus? And if he does not, there will be no surrender, no reserves, no retreat, no regrets. Huh. Pack your belongings in your coffin and go to the Congo. We face the fiery trial, but our God is able to deliver us. And we've decided we're going to live all for Jesus. Here's what I want to leave you with. Leave you with. Every decision becomes a destiny. You've heard me say that over and over. Your commitment today will carve a pathway through the adversities of tomorrow. There will be no surrender. Wait, wait, wait. There will be a surrender. All for Jesus. And when you surrender that way, you can live an unsurrendered life through the fires of adversity. Let's pray together. So, Father, I thank you how your word just speaks so clearly about how we survive in the turmoil of life. And I pray, Father, that we can make a decision, a commitment to you, to live all for you, to be changed by you, and no matter what befalls us, no no matter what comes, that we can live all for you, King Jesus. Father, there's some listening today that need to raise their hands and say, okay, I'm going to give my life to, to Jesus. I'm facing adversity I cannot endure. I need the God who goes with me through the adversity, who's in the fire with me. And if that's you right now, just pray with me. Jesus, I'm yours. I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins and be my Savior. I'm going to live for you. Father, I can't help but think that some are listening. They need to come back to you or they need to give further with you, take next steps with you. Maybe, God, there's some that need to pack their belongings in their coffins and move to the Congo. I don't know. But whatever you want done, I pray that we will surrender all to you, our blessed Savior. I surrender all. And I pray this in your son's strong name. Amen. I hope this has helped today, that you find courage and confidence in that. And I want to remind you, to be faithful in your generosity. Give as the Lord has given to you so this ministry that we're they're doing, we're presenting on the internet, continues to, to help people and to build lives and build your life wherever you are. And remember this, to share this with your friends and neighbors. Tell them to go online and watch. Just tippets and snippets of things that will help them live a life that, that is true and honorable and right and all for Jesus. And, and be an influencer in your community. And remember this, I love you and I'm praying for you. Even though we are kind of on the internet, that doesn't mean we're not in each other's lives. 
So God bless you, and I hope you've been encouraged today, and I hope this has helped. And we'll see you again next week as we uh, deal with more Daniel and see what God wants us to become as we live in the new normal. God bless you.